Hello and welcome to Island Artcast, uncovering the creative industry. Here we talk about all things art and each week I'll be joined by inspiring Max creatives to discuss creative careers as well as burning topics in the art world today to keep that creative mind of yours in action. Welcome to another episode of Island Artcast, the Ironman Art Council's podcast for talking all things art. Um, I'm Ali, your host, and throughout March we're celebrating women in the arts with a connection to the Isle of Man, and we have a very special guest with us today who works in the creative industry, Frankie McDade. Frankie is a former Ramsey Grammar School student who is now a lighting director and designer with over 15 years' experience in the live music industry. Frankie's worked with some incredible artists, including Elbow, um, with Guy Garvey, Kay Tempest, Dizzy Rascal, James Arthur and Claxons. Um, So welcome, Frankie. Um, How are you? I'm really good, thank you. Your first visit back to the island in how long? Uh, in, in in a little while actually. I was here for Christmas, so I stayed. I had a little extended trip because I wasn't allowed to come back because of the pandemic. So I made that Christmas a little pandemic. longer this time. But no, yeah, it's great to be back. Excellent. Um, well, we're very pleased to have you. Um, can you tell us a bit about some other people that you've worked with? Yeah. So um, I worked with Swedish folk duo first aid kit um i spent five years working with them um toured around the world we did a whole campaign um called the rebel hearts tour i'm actually about to start a campaign with uh lewis capaldi so we're um, in the process of building that show i'm the lighting director for that one so i'm not a part of the design team but i'm part of the kind of the day-to-day running of the show um, that'll start from May and I'll go with them th- him through till the end of next year. So that'll be pretty full on. Uh, so doing K Tempest. I feel like it's going to be easier for me to work backwards <laughs> on what I've done. Yeah, um, yeah so I've done that. Um, Elbow is, a, is another long running gig, of course. Um, and then before that, I've done, uh, I used to work as a technician. So I've done stuff for Placebo and Rudimental. Um, Oh, I used to work in a music venue in Lincolnshire when I was at university. So we we would bring that's one where I got my start. So lots of bands coming through there, like Stereophonics, um, and we had the Radio Ones tour where it was Thirty Seconds to Mars once. Ah, so yeah. it's been I... like a bouncing around um, a lot over the last few years, um, and then also working with some like new um, emerging artists like Awkward Moments and Cash and David. Um, yeah, some little bits and pieces. Exciting. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was going to lead me to my next question, which was, how did you find your calling in this career? How, how, what, what sparked it for you? Because obviously, you're from the Isle of Man, you went from a very small, relatively small high school, and yeah. you went off to university, and just to, to mm-hmm. give us a bit of background into that, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, um, when I when I was at school, I very much um, was a person that jumped from. If I could have done every art, core art-based, music-based course within school, I would have done that over sciences and stuff. I was very much more that way inclined. I did, um, so I ended up having this little balance between having to choose between performance-based stuff and and art, fine art. So I ended up choosing to do um, an undergraduate in drama. So I went to University of Lincoln to study um, that course, which was part practical, um, part theoretical. And they, in my second year, they built a theatre and music venue in it from an old converted engine shed. Wow. So really, 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 really lucky to be in the early stages of that. It, um, and I started working 
in the music venue as a lighting technician um, and operating club nights and bits and pieces. But what we would also do is we would become the local crew for any shows that would come through. Um, so that's where I met a lot of the people I work, still work with now was through getting to know everybody. Um, I met um, one of the, the lady that is the designer for Elbow, Kate Carter. I met her coming through the engine shed when she was working with Athlete. Right. And um, why have I forgotten his name? <laughs> um, the uh, Plan B, that was who I was thinking of. I was like, I, was like, I, I could remember the album, The Defamation of Strickland Banks, but I couldn't remember the name of the artist. So so met her through there and we had a very like um, a, a slow building friendship over the years and finally we got to work. To, she brought me in to do um, Guy Garvey about seven years ago when he did a solo album. Yeah. So that's how that relationship has, has run that full circle over the last... Yeah, 17 years-ish. Um, so that um, worked and was working in the music venue. Um, and as I was spending more and more time of my kind of social time outside of uni in there, I realised I wanted to do more within the touring industry. And I was very interested in like the kind of performance art um, and this kind of set design side of things because I was spending time in my degree building sets um, and doing a lot more of the kind of technical stuff with a creative pull on it. Um, and that kind of, having that kind of theatrical background and set design ideas, pulling that into live music and getting that balance between the lighting and the kind of more rock um, music that was happening at the time it was very much that it, we're talking 2008 so it was all that kind of indie scene yeah. or now known as indie sleaze yeah. uh, which is <laughs> absolutely the nail on the head <laughs> it's brilliant let's coin that phrase yeah, yeah. <laughs> um it definitely describes that period of time beautifully yeah. um but that yeah the whole kind of mixing that whole thing up and it's funny that later on i ended up working with klaxons on that that what was ended up being their final tour unless they do anything else again we can be optimistic but um well, let's hope they pick up the phone then so. yeah <laughs> hey, thank you <laughs> yeah it was it was really good um and they had a support band on that tour called fennec sola who were amazing as well it was a really that was a really really lovely run but um that um moving into the music industry was t to go i didn't just jump straight into lighting design i very much was aware of how difficult it can be to emerge into an industry so I spent a lot of time working um, on the technical side of things honing the, the kind of the practical side elements of it um, working on festivals so like did I, pretty much the day I finished university um, I got a call from a company who would um, who had come through the music venue I was working with and asked me to go and work on like Glastonbury doing um, decorative lighting within all the bars. There was there's like 30, 40 individual bars on the Glastonbury site. Yeah. So they wanted to kind of that was their part of their project was to make sure everything looked really what an really incredible great opportunity. Absolutely. So I yeah, it was not a hard question to yeah. say, to answer. <laughs> so I went and did that, and that was the summer of two thousand and eight. And I did that for a couple of years, but over that that first summer, I just started doing. I picked up, I went straight into freelancing. So I did Glastonbury, I did Latitude and Leeds and Reading. They're like they became the kind of staples of the summer for me. 
early on. And then slowly as I was building stuff, I got a chance to get my hands on like the lighting desks and would operate. And I ended up looking after the comedy stage at Latitude for seven years. And the same with the lockup stage at Leeds, which which was originally... It was split between dance music and metal. Yeah. And I'm much more interested in the metal side of things and the punk side yeah. of things. And it used to be two days to one day dance, which I was like, this is great. And then they, then they switched it at one point. Oh. I was like, no, we need the metal. I know. But then they, they finally, on my last year that I did do that stage, they split it into two. Um, so I got a full three days of punk and metal. Nice. I was in my in heaven. Yeah, that sounds was like my brilliant. idea of heaven. As well. It was <laughs> wicked. It was wicked. And I got and that was one of my favorite m- moments because that that stage became where like it's where I got to like my favorite band of all time once I've done them once. Um they're called Alexis on Fire and I was so happy and it was I was like, "Ah, uh, I'm I'm in heaven. <laughs> I can die a happy woman." Yeah. Now. I have to say I think I I programmed that whole festival rig based around knowing that they were going to have a show and I was going to be able to do it. So it might have been a little biased on the rest of the bands, I have to admit that one. (laughs) But it was a great show. Too good an opportunity to take off, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That would have had to have been done. Yeah, no, but it was... Yeah, that kind of leads into my next question um, about your experience and you've obviously got a vast experience from Mm. our very short little chat that we're having. As a woman, have you come across any difficulties or barriers within this industry that you've kind of had to deal with and how have you dealt with that if you did have any yeah there's I I think it's yeah uh, absolutely we we see I I think the group of women that I I know who work within like more my specific position as like kind of designers directors um there is definitely a kind of you have to you almost have to fight to prove yourself a little bit yeah. within any in any industry you have to kind of be just as good and be better than your counterparts um there's also like there's the val- value of knowing your own worth as well it seems to be like the kind of financial side of things is one of those things that i think we see as women across the board regardless of industry that we're not particularly great at asking for more money when we deserve it and we deserve the equal pay um but also then there's the choice of being included in certain camps like you're not always going there's going to be positions that are you're going to be better suited to um there's going to be position you can like there's I've definitely found myself in positions where I've been in a camp and I'm like I'm not the right person for this group of people um and I've I've chosen to work away um it's it's under it's a difficult thing to navigate I think I've definitely struggled I've definitely experienced things where I know that I've realised half part way through a tour that A, I'm not the right person and B, I don't think they want me here. Like that I'm especially difficult. Especially if it's like a like especially when I was younger, it was like if it was if I was the only girl, sometimes I felt that if it was I was maybe interfering with the boys' club sometimes. Like that was definitely You're the outsider looking in. Yeah, um, I've been kept separate. Um, I've also not got shows because I'm a girl. 
or identify as a woman. You know, I do. Um, I, I'm aware of that stuff has happened, not because of my abilities at all. Um, but then I've realised in in retrospect, looking at that, I'm like, well, if that's the reason why I didn't get it, I probably didn't want to be there anyway. So it's like if someone's willing to be like, that's 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 the that's their their line of where they want to say, okay, we're going to only have this this kind of person in our camp. If that's what they want, that's what they want, and I don't really want to be in there. I definitely thrive in a really diverse group of people. I also thrive in like gr groups where it's been majority men. Um, the first aid kit camp is a really good example of that because the girl, the the first aid kit are made up of two two Swedish sisters, Joanna and Clara, and they're wonderful. And their band are um, three adoring gentlemen, um, and the crew are all guys as well except for me we did have um we do have mer a merch girl that comes in um but that that tour was wonderful it was a really gr good group kind of meeting of minds and it had a real family environment to it and it was really nurturing and it was also a really good space for me to grow as an artist in my own right as well so it was it was a really thriving environment for me. And that's, you know, it's I wouldn't say that's necessarily a particularly like within the crew side of things, it wasn't particularly diverse, but within the whole party, it was. But we have like within the elbow camp, it's a very balanced um, crew. Um, and I think that's a really valuable thing to asset to have within a group of people. We have the, within the K Tempest camp as well. That is a balanced group of people. Um, it has an emph emphasis on equality and gender e equality as well. So there's like K, K themselves identifies as non-binary. So like that that um, that approach that um, K wants to manufacture um, kind of set up an environment that is um, welcoming to everybody and is inclusive of everybody. And that's that's a statement that as well is echoing around more and more artists as well. Like I've, there's definitely an increased demand for female engineers and non-binary engineers um, or, or enge engineers and designers in the, from the queer community. So it's that's something that is people. Are, there are groups of people trying to work towards to encourage that more. And even outside of like the LGBT queer community, it's also within like the kind of racial equality as well. Like we have, you don't, you don't have to really look that hard to see that the, the music industry from a production side of things is quite, is quite white, especially in the UK. Um, and in terms of engineering and designing and operating. Um, and, there's a there was in 2020 there was a really wonderful project that started up with um by an artist called neo and neo sorry apologies neo and um muramasa and their management set up a thing called 3t which is um tour trek tour tech training and they basically got 12 they they put an open invite to people and they for, they wanted 12 people and they're aiming for women of 12 women of color and so the training course started up and it went over 12 weeks and it covered every department within the touring industry so from tour management production management backline tech lighting sound um 
the whole the whole thing. I think the only thing that wasn't covered was catering. <laughs> I think like every every square inch was covered. But over these twelve weekends, um, these women went and trained to kind of become these um, techs that were widely versed in the whole industry, so that they could go in to a tour and support a tour as a kind of general tech position however each each of these women as you get got to know them all had their own strengths and goals um and out of that training there are touring backline techs sound engineers there's and and musicians as well like they're they've they've now these there are some of the women are musicians who have given themselves the 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 kind of the skills of understanding what goes on around around them when it comes to putting on a show they're not just they're not they're not only performing they're aware of what's going on around them so these these women are incredible and it was such a valuable course and that was in the autumn of 2020 and i think that's one of the most valuable and rewarding things that's like come out of the of the pandemic I think is that that course the establishment of that course and allowing for spaces to give um to elevate others to get them in because our industry is is very it is very white and um it was commented on by um Ramesh Ranganathan um, a few years ago when he he presented we have an industry um, awards ceremony and he commented on how the how white the room was and and he's is absolutely right like it is it's it's very like on a on a gender level it's very very one sided yep. on on a on a racial level it's incredibly white so it's like it's it needs a little bit more evening out and the artists there's a definitely a heightened request to find more diverse crew so yeah that's that's awesome that was a great answer i'm like yes <laughs> so, um so you curated several projects as well as doing this in the music industry yeah. um so would you tell us a little bit about that as well yeah so um when the when the pandemic hit and everything went went to pot, um, my all of my tours were delayed, either postponed or cancelled, um, and so was left with a bit of space, um, and it was like that first year was really difficult, and so I end but I ended up through that first that twenty end of twenty twenty was doing a lot of like in like kind of studying trying to figure out where where I can still be creative um, and where where I have value and also where I get enjoyment so through that and I realized that like what do I do on my days off like well wherever I'm on tour I go to museums and exhibitions and I absolutely fell in love with a museum in Seattle called the Museum of Pop Culture which is fantastic and it's so beautifully done. And it when I went, it was they were doing it. They had um, they had a guitar exhibition on, but they also had a Jim Henson's Creatures exhibition on, oh which my was goodness. fabulous. Please tell me there were some labyrinth creatures in there. There was. Oh there my goodness. was. It was so good. There was Muppets. There was the lot. It was oh. fantastic. They had Bowie's. Um, Dark Crystal outfit as well. Dark, no, Labyrinth outfit. I totally have a moment. But they had the Dark Crystal stuff as well. 
It was beautifully done, but it's an amazing museum. It covers pop culture from top to toe. Um, then face huggers from aliens, <gasps> a whole lot. Yeah, all sorts of oh, things. Oh, I need to go. It sounds like a definitely it's, bucket list ticker for sure and just like it's me and it's music stuff is just it's it's so beautifully put together and and I thought about how I felt about that and um when I was do I ended up looking I was like I used to live near Goldsmiths University and I was like Goldsmiths College and I thought oh maybe that's what I could go and do some some part-time courses so anyway I looked and it was it was the September and obviously that's well out of like Studying, studying normal studying time I was like oh they start courses in January and there was one there was this course at um, UAL Central St Martin's called Culture Criticism and Curation um, and I thought why not I, so I applied and I applied for a grant I got the grant and I was like well I've got to get in but I managed to get in, which was a bit of a shock, but it was like, I got I managed to kind of turn it all around in a couple of weeks. It was a bit bonkers and I just had to move house as well. So, so no pressure then? Just n- oh, during the pandemic ab- as well? December of 2020 was absolute <laughs> carnage, um, but it was brilliant. And I started in the January. Um, and so, yeah, I ended up using the course to kind of look at ethics and... Um, so my first part of it, I did ethics and ownership of colour. So looking at like Vanta Black, the kind of manufactured um, pigment where Anish Kapoor has basically said, it's all mine. <laughs> and then Stuart Semple had something to say about that and made his own. So but then so I looked a lot about that kind of ownership of ownership of colour, essentially, and um, and then kind of continued the ethics into kind of curatorial activism and so I ended up working on um, looking at kind of activism through music um, and then look and decided to kind of twist kind of move all of that stuff around that kind of musical circle that I've got going on so okay so how can I make activism and music and exhibitions all work together Uh, anyway I ended up getting in touch with um, the some of the organisers of the Rock Against Racism movement in the 70s um, and the um, the British Music Experience who are based up in Liverpool who were established in 2017 at the O2 and they moved up there, they moved up to Liverpool a few years later. And so I've done, since developed a relationship with the BME um, and I've just finished working on a um, helping them out with the Scottish music exhibition called Don't You Forget About Me. So we've pulled together a bunch of stuff and I got um, a few Biffy Clyro bits and some Twin Atlantic bits and pieces and then we started to put it all together. So that's now open until September. So there you go. Going to check that out. Shameless plug. Yeah, why not? Um, yeah, so that's, that's really, it's a really, really wonderful um, exhibition. But it's one of those things over the course of the year and doing my research, realised that it's actually... It's such an important space to have that kind of. Um, it's not a museum as such. It is. It is an experience, but it's a kind of way of protecting all of those kind of iconic pieces that may end up going into somebody's cupboard and getting dusty and forgetting about. Like pop culture, just because pop culture is quite present, doesn't mean it's less valuable in a kind of museum setting. And it also doesn't necessarily have to be as stuffy as, you know, a museum can be. So um, there's there's that 
I feel like it's I feel like it's really really important that somewhere like the BME exists and I I worry because it's not a it's not funded by the um the arts council or anything currently they're um they're self-funded they literally rely on ticket sales to keep the place afloat um and they've had a difficult time but they've got such an amazing group of passionate people that work behind the scenes um, and set, it was set up um part of the team is harvey goldsmith who does live aid and that team um and it's really it's really really well loved by the people that run it but it really needs the support of the public um, and it's so beautifully put together and I think it's one of those things that spaces that needs protecting so we'd like they got they did get a bit of a cash injection um, from the cultural recovery fund but it's one of those things I think it just needs to kind of I think it's one of those things that maybe needs a little bit more public out outward public support so um one of those that's why I wanted to get involved in it because I I really care about making sure that we protect those kind of cultural artifacts that to some may not be deemed important but to others are really really important um especially to us in the creative world yeah like like there's things like in the Scottish exhibition there were things that we came across like there's um there's a zine that I pulled out that's Scot- it was Scotland's only reggae zine from 19... It was, it was 1970... I might have this wrong, but it was like 1978 to 1979. Um, very, very short-lived one, as far as I'm aware, um, but still very culturally significant, even though it may appear to be quite small it's these they're just slightly smaller than a a5 but to have that's a really good snapshot of what the reggae scene in scotland would have been like at the time and then we've got also we've got other things like really beautiful art pieces so we've got um ironically we've got one of vivi clyro's um jackets for a band that never wear shirts <laughs> we've got a co it's this it's some i some i might be saying this wrong i see a miyaki's mayaki coat which is like kind of cloud blue with pink all over it it's crinkly Ooh. it's like kind of got a concertina really geometric concertina down it it's gorgeous it's a work of art and that's that needs Friends. to not be in somebody's cupboard. It needs, yeah, like <laughs> you know, if you know Simon Neil can wear it to his heart's content, or like have it on display because it's just too gorgeous to be to be gathering dust somewhere. And we, he, they also kindly gave us some some of their notebooks as well with like the original, like the the, the initial incantations of like many of horror and pulling apart all of these really beautiful things. I feel like you're reading somebody's diary. It's oh, really like all these treasures. Yeah. Um, and just and there's old old magazines and also absolutely brilliant to look at the the Bay City Rollers stuff. They they, they had we got given six satin style bomber jackets, but were all made for the crew. We never get crew merchandise like that anymore. I'm like, I want a, I want a satin bomber jacket. It'll be amazing. But they're these really, they've got the crew names on them. They've got the logo of the tour. It's like, it's a whole different world of touring to think about because they've, when they sold out Japan, it, they had a big embroidered Japan um, outline on the back and just said, sold out, basically rollers. 
That's absolutely it's bonkers. And like, to be fair, it's like it's a it's a piece of art, and it is. So we've yeah, got it a needs bunch to be them. preserved and and yeah. showcased to everybody so yeah. that they can take it all in its wonder <laughs> and glory that it sounds like. Um, yeah. Uh, so, oh, oh, that's annoying. I could chat to you for ever. <laughs> um. Ah, so yeah, probably the most important one. Um, um, so you've worked with Arts Council England mm-hmm. um, previously. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and how important it is for um, institutions like mm-hmm. Arts Council England and the Arts Council in the Isle of Man, mm-hmm. how important it is to people in the creative world, not just people in the creative industries, but you know, for, mm-hmm. for anybody who's creative and why these institutions are so important yeah so um i i applied mainly with the goal of um a lot of a lot of the tools around lighting design it's so it's a lot there's a lot of software that's involved and we are going through a bit of a software shift at the moment within the um from a lighting design stage design um environment especially with programming lights um and console lighting consoles are changing, so it's re- you you almost have to have a little bit of surplus cash in order to be able to invest in like the next step. And obviously, when the pandemic hit, I didn't. Although I had savings, I didn't necessarily. I was like, I need to come out of the pandemic still at the same level I was when before. But there's no, I've got no increase, no continued income at all. Um, but I. St- no I want to go back into the music industry I don't want to abandon it like it's not that's not how I felt at all um I wanted I wanted to use the time for growth so I so I applied um to cover my um so I use a piece of software called WYSIWYG and that's how I draw shows and that's also how I program shows and we use that to you can take um it's like it's a 3d rendering software so you can program shows in a digital world and then take it to a festival or your actual tour or you can just practice in there it's a good practicing space but it's expensive um and we're we're talking thousands of pounds a year and so you have to to be able to afford this tool that's really really useful to work in the industry you have to have surplus cash Uh, and not everyone has that at all so i I, I applied to basically cover that next year's cost because it's only you only pay for a license you you have to keep paying every single year um and so I applied for that and then I also applied for there's new software that's out um that's also a tool for designing another 3d software that everyone has been beginning to kind of move into um and get further kind of uh, expand like the design potential so I wanted to kind of expand my own skills so I was like well I'll put that in there and then also my general running costs of like having a an Adobe Creative Cloud subscription like so I so I applied for WYSIWYG this Deepens which is the other rendering software and Adobe and I got that and and with that at the time the, the production company that do Wiz, WYSIWYG they actually rather than doing one year they gave me two years so for the arts council funding not and with the situation in the pandemic not only did i get one year's coverage i got two years coverage 
So there's a little bit of a buy one, get one free there. But it means that like I'm in a such better situation now. I was able to do um, pre-programming for Elbow without having to do extra costs on renting software um, for like before I went into the main main because the main programming bulk which we which had been already been paid for I was able to kind of hone my skills before I put myself in that position where it was time sensitive um, and I was able to build like the design for K Tempest I was able to build designs for other smaller artists and give them high quality designs and concepts that they deserve and without that I would be in a situation where I would have to rent stuff, which would cumulatively cost a lot more because it's not to design a show takes weeks and it's a really long, slow process. Um, building it in the software is, um, depending on the scale of the show, is is complicated and sometimes it can take a day sometimes it can take a week and sometimes it can take longer so have by having that tool at my fingertips and at my disposal I was able to continually build a design and represent myself in a way that is um true to my aesthetic and my um dedication to the like the work that I the level of work I want to produce so it's really it, the the tools of having like Adobe and Deepence and WYSIWYG were Without them, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have achieved what I have in the last six months if I hadn't been able to afford that software. So it's really important, and I'm incredibly grateful because I know that not everyone is always successful. Um, it's a really difficult situation to be in when people when people you know don't get funding and you do. So it's I think it's important to support each other in whatever way you can, and I feel very grateful that I got that little bit of money that I did when I did. Bit of security for you to carry on. Absolutely. Bit of reassurance that what you're doing, yeah. you'll be able to do for much longer than you'd yeah. originally thought with the pandemic mm -hmm. as well. It fe it gave me, it felt, I felt like it gave me a lot more of like, um, hope in my own future in a way, because it was really like, it, it did, when the music industry fell apart, it felt very hopeless for a little while. Um, for longer than I would have liked it to. So um, to be able to have like the support and and yeah, be very lucky to kind of get it, put myself in the positions that I, I did in the end. It was, yeah, it's all, it, it's all luck and hard work. Yeah. Well, well sounds, sounds amazing. And so <laughs> glad that you got the funding for yeah. it. And that, they, that they were able to help you. Um, uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming to chat to us. Oh, and you. yeah, just the best of luck with your next projects that you're doing as yeah. well. And I could chat to you for hours and hours <laughs> and hours. Um, but yeah, so we're just coming to the end of our programme now. So hopefully we'll get to uh, catch up with you and chat to you again another time. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I'm Ali and I've been the guest host for Island Artcast. <laughs>